Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com and Tractor Zoom Iron Comps. If you guys are looking at a good way to track what's going on in the auction market and see upcoming auctions, as well as levels of what's going on out there in the auction marketplace, Tractor Zoom is the best place to do that by looking at their Iron Comps package. And if that is something you decide to move forward with, use Moving Iron at checkout, and you'll get yourself a nice little discount. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he is nice enough to come on once a week to talk about what's going on in the markets. And Sean, you put out one of your reports came out yesterday, and uh, I love those things that come out because they're just chock full of great information. But the one thing that I found to be uh, very interesting was you had a good, um, like a thirty minute podcast in the first. 12 minutes of it, 15 minutes of it was revolving around kind of where we're at in this, in this current solar cycle and what that looks like. So if you wouldn't mind kind of recapping that a little bit and, and giving the folks the information you were, that you had in that, in that uh, report, that'd be great. Well, as you know, Casey, we've talked about this on our, your program a lot. You know, we were, we're in one of these uh, phases where the overall sunspots are at a lower level and will continue to be at a lower level for, the next 30 or 40 years. It's a 200 year cycle that we're in, but we're always looking for signposts just to make sure things are playing out the way we would expect them to be. So, you know, we're always trying to just verify that something's not changing or shifting or, you know, we're not seeing it right. So we always try to bring this out when we, uh, when we get these clarifications. And one of those clarifications is that we had predicted, you know, that we would start to see temperatures really fall off significantly after we got this Saturn, Jupiter conjunction that we talked about in December, which historically it always led the, the forces of the solar system uh, to drive the sea surface temperatures down and to drive temperatures down. And we've seen temperatures, we showed a chart from the satellite temperatures crashing in March, actually is below now the 30 year average um, for the, you know, the whole month of March for the first time in quite a while. And we expect that those temperatures to continue to fall well into next spring summer before we may make some kind of a of a, of a short-term low and maybe a, we have a little bit of a bounce and so this feeds into this winter we've been talking about right this very very cold winter spring next year globally especially northern hemisphere um, and we think temperatures could actually reach levels that we haven't seen since the late 1970s 
to the early 1980s based upon uh, the trends that we see. We also highlighted, as you know, we talked about the North Atlantic sea surface temperatures, which is a, a, a very good measure for the AMO, which is the Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation for the overall sea surface temperatures of the Atlantic Ocean. The reason that's important, the sea surface temperatures determine the temperatures on Earth. The sea surface temperatures are determined by the sun and the planets interacting with the atmosphere and the, and the gravimetric forces of the tides and that sort of thing. So we know that the Pacific's already cold, but we, if we can get the AMO cold, then you have both the Pacific and the Atlantic in what we call the cold phase that really, really starts to accelerate throughout history, these cooling of the atmosphere and the cooling of temperatures. Um, and, the, and, and what we did was we took the North Atlantic sea surface temperatures, and they are falling, by the way. They've been falling ever since the beginning of the year. We actually dipped slightly below the 30-year average before bouncing a little bit up, but we took our best fit. There was three years that, that were 92% correlated to the current path of the North Atlantic, and they all show a solid negative North Atlantic, um, North Atlantic sea surface temperature by the fall. And North Atlantic leads AMO into negative territory. So this fits with, because everyone asks us, Sean, how do you know? Why are you so confident that this coming winter is going to be the one? Why was it not this winter? Or why was it not, why won't it be the next winter? And one of the reasons is the AMO going negative. Um, the other uh, thing that we discussed uh, in the report is the concept of volcanic eruptions. We know we get volcanic eruptions that occur all the time. And for those that aren't aware, the big thing about a volcanic eruption is it pushes sulfur dioxide into the stratosphere. And if you have enough of these uh, volcanic eruptions that are occurring and you get enough SO2 in the atmosphere, those concentrations will actually blocks the sun and rebounds it back. And so it, it reduces the amount of sun that is allowed to come into the earth and, and warm the planet. And so, you know, of course, there's people out there that measure this kind of stuff like NASA and NOAA and a whole bunch of other things. And we showed a chart of total sulfur dioxide aerosols in the atmosphere uh, going back, I think, to 1978, I think it was to now. And we showed how correlated global temperatures have been to these. So when SO2 is declining in the atmosphere, the plant's going to be warming. And when SO2 is rising in the atmosphere, the plant's going to be cooling. We showed how we're starting to surge uh, in SO2 concentrations again. And that's part of the cycle. That's part of uh, lower sunspots produce greater overall volcanic eruptions and, and can, in fact, increase the propensity for these very, very large uh, volcanic explosivity index eruptions of uh, six or higher, which are which are really really impactful. So so uh, so so that's happening. So that's another thing that gives us confidence, Casey. Why is this winter going to be so cold? Because we got AMO in our favor, and we got the SO two concentrations in our favor. And then we also talked about how the the solar cycle typically, when you get into a grand solar cycle, the trough periods are double the triple of the normal length. And so that's another signpost. So if you look at this trough, this trough is already two and a half years long. And we're trying to start solar cycle 25. And we are, we are struggling to get that going. I mean, it's the slowest start of a solar cycle off of a trough that we've seen in 200 years since the last grand solar. And it's still struggling, Casey. I mean, it's nowhere near the trajectory that we saw 
for solar cycle 24, 23, and that sort of thing. So that's another signpost. The longer sunspots stay low, the longer it takes for the next solar cycle to develop, the more it puts pressure on these sea surface temperatures, puts pressure on these air temperatures, and it puts pressure on all these forces of the meridional jet stream, the polar vortex, all the things that we've been talking about in your program for quite a few years now that have been causing this weather volatility and increasing these cold weather extremes like we just saw in February that we're going to see much more prevalently this coming winter. Uh, so, so this is, you know, we, we, we try to bring these things out from time to time so people remember, you know, what, where we are and where we're going. And it's going to be something we're going to be talking in great detail at your, at your conference here in, in September. Um, you know, we'll be going over this uh, in even more detail and, and having even more signposts to give your audience at that time. So. Yeah. I mean, the great, the, the it's a really an eye-opening amount of information that you have there. Again, all scientifically backed up. Like you said, NASA know all these different people measure all these different things and do that. Um, it's it, it, there's going to be a big effect on what we see happening, especially how this goes into this this fall. We start looking at what we see happen with corn, soybeans, wheat, all these different things that are going to start having an effect on this stuff, especially if. Um, Things kind of continue on the same path that we're seeing. One other thing you hit on in that in that report that I found to be very, very good was when you were talking about um, the cattle prices and kind of where you were thinking that that one twenty eight to one thirty range is kind of the is the top, and then from there, you know, we're going to start seeing some things slide off. So, talk about the cattle market a little bit and your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, look, we're going through the post COVID demand surge trade, right? Everyone is 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 getting the vaccine or has already gotten sick and gotten better and everyone's feeling more comfortable and confident and everyone's getting out restaurants are opening and you know they got to fill up those freezers they got to fill up those you know get their food back into normal balance and so we you know we've known this tr this was coming and of course beef and pork obviously are a high item that needs to be rebuilt and cattle prices are being bid up right now as we're entering the grilling season and 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 all the, all these restaurants and food servers are trying to you know get their beef stocks back up to normal so they can run their their operations but you know that's not going to last forever so that demand you you're going to get that initial we call restocking demand surge and when it ends then you're going to get back you're going to throttle back to what we call you know normal demand keeping the keeping the freezers full not letting them get empty but you're not going to have that that surge is going to end and we think for both pork and beef demand, we're going to reach a, a pinnacle or a peak in this kind of uh, surge in demand here in the spring that can um, that, that's going to lead to a big fall off over the summer. And so we showed a chart of the cattle price, the June cattle price, and we showed this uh, increasing wedge pattern that typically ends in a bearish breakdown when you get to the end of that pattern, which kind of projects out into May, and it kind of projects out that you know, upper 120s area on the June contract. And so we're kind of getting ready to make a recommendation to our livestock producers to make some important cash sales because we think that could be a high watermark uh, for a while, maybe into the into the fall before this harsh winter, you know, kind of jacks prices up again as we move forward. So that that's something if you're in the livestock business, you really should be, you know, starting to pay attention about, you know, getting some hedges and cash sales done. It's a pretty good price. We haven't seen that price in quite a while. So yeah, no, no kidding. It's been a long time since we've seen prices that that direction. Um, okay, so Friday tomorrow we have a uh, Wazoo report coming out. Um, could be some 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 fireworks there, especially if we start looking at world demand and what those estimates are going to look like. 
I think the, uh, the the market has built in that they're expecting to see some fairly significant demand and and then how the stocks are, are, are interwoven with that. So give me your thoughts on this upcoming WASD report and, and what kind of fireworks we might may or may not see. Remember, we're not going. This report is not going to talk about the next crops balance sheet. That's for May. Right. This is only going to go over the current balance sheet uh, and South American production uh, and global ending stocks. So, so we're not going to get any. New, you know, we're not going to incorporate the planning intentions report and all that. The new crop numbers are going to be for May. But for this report, uh, I think you know the market's going to be looking to see if there's any downgrades to South American production. You know, there's a, there's been a, as always, there's always two sides. The crop's great. The crop's not great. The crop's great. The crop's not great. You know, and then as harvest gets along, you kind of start to get a, a sense for what's actually the truth. So um, it's possible that they may start to become more comfortable to knock production down more. Uh, and I think we think they should, but, you know, whether they should, whether they do it and they should, I don't know, but I think they should do it. And if, we'll be looking for that. The other thing is we've started to ship corn out of the country now because we've shipped all the soybeans out we can. And now we're starting to ship the corn out of the, of the U.S. We have all these orders, but we have, you know, the shipment's been low, but we're starting to ship the product out. That means that we feel that the USDA is going to start to become more comfortable with starting to lower old crop ending stocks because they're seeing the product now moving out of our, you know, out of the bins, you know, into the, into the export trade. And so you know, we think just, we, we really believe they should have been knocking these numbers down cases, you know, for the last couple of reports, but we did, we felt it would just kick the can down the road because that's what they love to do. This report, we, I, I think it becomes dangerous to kick the can down the road anymore. I do think they need to start getting closer to the truth. You know, you don't want to screw up the corn market. If we need the corn prices to be six, or six and a half to get the job done, then we need to get there. That's what needs to be done. So we think they're going to make a material adjustment downward in this report. What does that mean? I think they're at a billion five right now uh, in, in ending stocks. You know, we, we don't think they're going to come down all the way to the truth, but we think they could meet us halfway, maybe come down to a billion three, maybe a billion three and a half, something like that um, would, be a, would be a move in the right direction. And so we'd be looking for that number to come down. We don't really think they can move the soybeans down much more. I mean, what are they going to do? Say we're, we're going to run out? I mean, I just think they're going to stick with 110 or 120 and, you know, and just roll the dice and hope, hopefully we have a big crop and it's all going to work out. But I mean, they're not going to say we're going to have zero, you know? So I, I mean, I just don't think they're going to move the soybean ending stock, but corn, they, they should, I think they will. Now, whether the market's already anticipating that, we'll have to find out, but I'd be looking for that. You know, that's what I'd be looking for. And remember, the uh, Safrina second crop corn in Brazil, weather continues to be pretty problematic. Half the crop is under drought stress. And pollination is just about ready to begin. And, um, you know, uh, we've, we've been talking about this on your program, that that could be a big market mover as we move into May. Um, so just you know, the USDA, you know, may decide it needs to knock corn production down in Brazil. And so if there's going to be fireworks, we think it's going to really probably come from knocking Brazil production down some, we think there could be some surprises there. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think it's going to be, I don't think it, I think you said if it, if it comes back where, you know, you're, you were within the realms you're talking about and they do bring it down stocks down stuff like that. I don't think that the market's going to have a big, a big reaction to it. Cause I think they're expecting that to happen. Agreed. If they don't do anything. We're going to see, 
some pretty significant slides in, in still. And that kind of brings me to the next topic here is kind of look at. So last Wednesday, we had this big report come out and shook the markets up good. The next two days in a row, um, on Thursday anyway, Wednesday, Thursday, both everything finished limit up. And then um, Friday, we had pretty big sell-off in soybeans. They were down about 36. And then it kind of slowly rebounded back. But And you know, wheat is off about a dollar. Um, we talked about that in the report as well. About that slide of wheat, what we've seen there. Everyone's kind of, oh, don't worry about the winter pill thing. It's not a big deal. And it's, I think it's just, it's just no way it's not a big deal. I don't know how they can't see that, but that's for another time. And we can, <laughs> we can, we can talk about that, that later. But I guess as you take a look at these, this, this volatility that we've seen, um, it's pretty much kind of what we've talked about so far. It's these big swings one day to the next slide sideways and there's a big up or a big down day and then the next day corrects that kind of back to where it was so talk about the volatility you're seeing and and how much more of this volatility should we see should we expect we talked about this before when you can start getting ending stocks down in the u.s to what i call bare minimum pipeline levels which is where we're at in corn and soybeans you know little adjustments casey mean a whole lot i mean when you have 3.3 billion bushels of corn and you lose 3 million bushels who cares Right. If you have a billion three in the industry, home million bushels, it means everything. Right. I mean, that's a different, it's a dollar or more right. on corn. If, if, you know, and that's not a huge adjustment, by the way. So, 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 so because of that, this volatility is going to be with us all summer long because we're going to keep making these little adjustments. Oh, the crop's good, the crop's bad, the crop's good, the crop's bad, the crop's good, the crop's bad. And the, these little adjustments in the minds of the market means we can swing these markets all over the place. Although ultimately we believe it's going to be too small. You know, we're going to come to the conclusion it's going to be, especially for corn, it's going to be too small. It's not going to be enough. And the, the result of all this is that the volatility is going to draw, is going to lead to an uptrending market. But it, until we get to that clarity, you know, it's going to be a lot of volatility like we just saw. I don't think anyone believes that those four to five million acres that the USDA said we should have planted, that some really smart private analysts who do their own planting intentions surveys said should be planted are not going to get planted. Somehow they say they're not going to get planted. I think everyone believes they're going to get planted, but, but you know, the market's saying we, we believe that, but just in case, <laughs> right. yeah. just in case they're right, we, we, we better make sure we keep the price very attractive just in case so that we make sure we, we get some of those acres back. So I think as planting gets going here, we really start making progress later this month and the market gets comfortable that we're rocking and planters are rolling and the acres, then I think they can, they can kind of calm their fears over acres. But for now, you know, we need to get to the end of the month and make sure that those planters are rolling like we think they are. But until they get further enough along, the market's going to want to see it before they believe it. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So now let's jump over and talk about wheat. Wheat is the, uh, it's the most volatile thing out there right now, I think. I mean, just as you look at the ebbs and flows and the swings in the marketplace, and everyone's kind of on their edge of their seat to see what happens come uh, starting uh, when combines start rolling here in about about three to four weeks in the very southern edge of the of the wheat belt. Um, overnight uh, report came out. You know, France had a had a low temperatures down. You know, freezing temperatures overnight in some of their key wheat growing areas. Um, so on and so forth. So there's a lot of this negative news coming in that just keeps feeding this this volatility in the wheat market. So as you take a look at the wheat market as it stands today and what you see going on there, 
when do you think that next big move in weed is going to be? Is it going to be in in May, mid May, you know, late May, early June when they start really start getting some test weights out of these fields and start seeing what that looks like from these hard uh, hard freeze areas of Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas? I mean, we we felt all along that we would be looking at making a low here in in April. We didn't think we'd drop a dollar. We think the market just got crazy excessive. And that's what the way the market is with all this money out there. They overshoot. I mean, they overshot that market terribly. But but it's also a tremendous opportunity if you're a buyer of wheat. You know, you have a tremendous opportunity right now. Or I mean, it's already up 20 cents the last two days. But I mean, it's it's just a, it's a ridiculous overshoot. But yeah, I think May is a really important um, moment because we do believe that as the harvest starts, Winter kill only can really be recognized when you start the harvest and you really start to see what your yields and what your test weights are and what, how it all really looks out. And there's absolutely no way in our mind that uh, what took place in February, which was the coldest temperatures in many of these areas that have ever been seen, ever. All-time record lows with insufficient snowfall. There's just no way that that's going to end good. Even though the market could convince itself it will end good, we don't believe there's any chance it can end good. We, we said the same thing about corn in August of last year. We had very hot temperatures. We said there's absolutely zero chance we can have an above trend line yield crop. Yet the market was willing to believe that narrative, uh, and they printed the low at 315 on our way to five and a half. So uh, we're pretty bullish. We think that's one thing. We also think some hot, dry weather is going to come back into the U.S. here in late April, into May. A lot of crop will still be heading at that time. Um, and there's still, we think a lot of the crop conditions that have improved here in the last few weeks uh, due to the March rains will start to deteriorate rapidly. And some of these, what I call um, uh, grandiose um, uh, uh, utopian yield forecasts that are out there right now are going to have to be recalibrated back down. And what I, what I will say this, and we said this in our podcast yesterday, everyone is bullish corn. Everyone is bearish Kansas City wheat, but when you look at the spread of KC wheat and corn, at least as of yesterday, you know, the May contracts were almost the same price in parity, we call it, right? Um, going back to 1970, KC wheat really never trades below corn ever because of the substitution factor of feed and all that sort of thing. So you can't be bullish corn and bearish Kansas City wheat at the current spread. You, you, it, history says you can't, you either have to be bearish corn and bearish wheat, or you have to be bullish corn, bullish KC wheat. Like, there's no way you can be one or the other at this spread. The spread is already telling you that they've priced it that way. So, the way we've been t- looking at it, we know KC wheat could trade a dollar over corn, two dollars over corn easily. And if we're right about the fundamentals shifting and getting tighter, and maybe the harvest not looking so good because the frost actually did do damage, you know, we not only could see the the KC wheat market follow corn, but it could actually outperform pretty dramatically. Just in the last two days, it's up 20 or 25 cents and corn's only up like five or six. So we might already be starting to see what is happening. But uh, I guess what I'm getting at is we think there's a tremendous opportunity in uh, high quality wheat, KC wheat, even Minneapolis wheat uh, got too low and starting to bounce because of the drought in North Dakota. So, you know, you're going to get buying opportunities. We've talked about this. There's going to be downside volatility when the market, for some reason, just gets on the bear mode. But keep your eye on the long-term trends here. And this is the, what we really try to convey. The long-term trends, we are heading into a phase transition higher that we think will peak 
in the spring, summer of 22. That's what, that's the, where we're heading. Now, in that pathway, we're going to be doing <laughs> up and down and around, but there's going to be chances for you as a buyer of wheat to get a shot. We haven't gotten a shot in corn since August. We haven't had a meaningful correction. We haven't had a meaningful correction in soybeans, really. But we got an opportunity in wheat. We would be looking to take advantage of that. We think that this is a gift that uh, won't last very long in, in, in what we see coming up. And so, you know, we're hopeful that corn and soybeans, maybe they can correct into early May on good planting. And, you know, who knows? You know, we're, we're hopeful we can get a break because we would love to be able to buy corn and soybeans on a big break like we have the opportunity in case we, whether we do or don't, we have an opportunity right now in wheat. So the opportunity, if you're a cash buyer of KC wheat, of Minneapolis wheat, of wheat in general, you know, we will not be uh, uh, falling prey to, oh, we're going to wait for harvest lows. I don't think that's going to work this year. We don't believe that's the right take. Yeah, right on. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. If folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what it is you're doing at Hacker Financial, how they can use it in their operation, what's the best way to do that? Best way is just to go to the website, Casey, at Hackett, <clears throat> H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. As you know, we have your interviews up there, real vision interviews, market-to-market interviews. We have sample reports, white papers, all kinds of stuff to help you kind of get an idea of how we think and to see if what we do might be of value to your listeners. Well, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to movingironllc.com. That's where you're going to find all the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast and blogs in every, the whole library of podcasts that are available. They're all right there on that website. Also, you will find the information for the Moving Iron Summit that's coming up in Nashville, Tennessee. That'll be September 15th to the 17th. As Sean alluded to that, he'll be there giving a a, uh, a talk about all the stuff that he's been talking about on here in, in greater depth. So if there's something that you're interested in, make sure you go check that out. Sean has got a, a wealth of information. And, you know, like we've talked about before, Sean, we're going to have kind of a uh, looking through the window of what's coming down the pike here as the, uh, as that stuff gets closer. Yeah. The, t- the timing is amazing. It's going to be, we're going to literally be looking into, <laughs> into the, into this winter, just about ready to start. So we, the timing couldn't be better for, those that attend and to hopefully maybe make some adjustments and, and, and allow themselves to, to manage, which is going to be, we think, a, a chaotic, just think how chaotic it was in February uh, and multiply that by, you know, uh, four or five times chaotic, chaos. And, you know, you, you kind of have an idea of what, what this coming winter and spring could look like. It's, you want to make sure you're not caught um, on the wrong side of, uh, of, of that chaos, that's for sure. So that's for sure. Definitely for sure. So look forward to that. If you want more information about that, go to the moving iron LLC.com website, the upper right hand corner, you'll see a uh, moving iron summit tab. Click on that. All the information is there, agendas, how to sign up, hotel and reservations, all those things are all right there. So if you need more information about that, uh, you can also send me an email at moving iron podcast, moving iron podcast.com. So with that, I am Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's go with some iron folks. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. 
The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here.